Long Reads is supported by Pluto Press. Pluto have developed a new list of audiobooks for some of their most popular titles. One audiobook you can buy from Pluto is Radical Intimacy by Sophie K. Rosa. Rosa takes aim at a so-called wellness industry that ignores rising poverty rates, state violence and the mental health crisis. She talks about alternative ways of living that can generate new forms of intimacy. You can order Radical Intimacy now from tiny.one slash jacobin. Hello, you're very welcome to Long Reads, a Jacobin podcast where we look in depth at political topics and thinkers. My name's Daniel Finn. I'm the features editor here at Jacobin, and I'll be presenting the show. The breakup of Yugoslavia in the early 1990s resulted in a brutal civil war. The conflict ended an experiment in multinational coexistence across the Western Balkans. But the tragic end of Yugoslavia shouldn't define the way that we think about its history. The Yugoslav nationalities played an outsized role in the struggle against Nazi Germany. During the Cold War, their government helped organise the non-aligned movement and tried to develop its own form of socialism. Our guest today for a conversation about Yugoslav history is Catherine Samari. She's an historian of the Balkans and the author of several books, including Yugoslavia Dismembered. This is the first part of a two-part interview. You can hear the second part in our next episode. What was the nature of the interwar Yugoslav state that took shape after the First World War under the rule of the Serbian monarchy? First, in 1918, what was called, not Yugoslavia at that time, but what was called the Kingdom of Serbs, Croats and Slovenes, was established under the rule of the Karadjordjevic dynasty, Serbian dynasty, and that expressed the aspiration of different Slavish people to regroup on the base of the collapse of the Ottoman and Austro-Hungarian Empire and expressed also the idea that an alliance of those different people could help them to resist the German domination, uh, which expressed itself in the war. But this rapidly was transformed because of the consolidation of the domination of the Serbian national power with dictatorial dimensions rapidly. And uh, the kingdom transformed itself into what was renamed a Yugoslav. That was the first time that the the, the term Yugoslav was used. So instead of Kingdom of Serbs, Croats, and Slovenes, it was renamed in 1929 the Yugoslav Kingdom. And it was de facto a Serb kingdom behind a unitarist, I would say, as it was uh, also qualified, a unitarist version of Yugoslavism, of Yugoslavia. And a national conflict increased, and uh, the Comintern, which uh, now existed in the context of the Russian Revolution, October Revolution, so the the Third International, the Comintern, qualified this first Yugoslav uh, system as a prison of people. And, of course, behind the term Yugoslavia was this first interpretation of unitarist kind of Yugoslavia, 
with oppressive dimensions against the other nations. Second point, on the point of view of the capitalist system and of, of the great capitalist powers, and on the point of view more precisely of the winners of the war, the new state which was recognized was also pushed forward as a shield against the attractive power of the Russian revolution among the Slavish population of the Balkans. So it combined the fact that it was, on the capitalist point of view, it was a peripheral uh, capitalist society system with a very weak bourgeoisie, increasing social and national conflicts and uh, unable to reduce regional inequalities. So it transformed itself rapidly into a dictatorship, which was welcomed, in fact, by the great capitalist powers with two dimensions. Uh, on the point of view uh, of socio-economical aspect, we can use the formula of, uh, uh, which was developed by Trotsky, introduced by Marx and developed by Trotsky, of uh, an even and combined development, socio-economic development of a society which combined features of the past and new process of industrialization with peripheral characteristics. So, to be concrete, at the beginning of, well, the new system, that peripheral capitalist state incorporated a very partial industrialization only concentrated in the northern regions corresponding to Slovenia, Croatia, and Vojvodina. That is the part of that new state uh, which had been part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire and who could have a beginning of industrialization in that context. And the other part of the country, the, of the new Yugoslavia, was a very poor and quasi completely no industrialized, corresponding to the people and the regions who had been under the former domination of the Ottoman Empire. So, at the eve of the Second World War, at the end of the First Yugoslavia, and uh, of course, taking in account the context also of the global capitalist crisis of the 30s, the socioeconomic structure of the new state was quite similar to what it was at the beginning. More than 70% of the population was still an illiterate, landless, and highly impoverished peasantry with a very limited working class in the northern parts, industrial uh, northern parts of the country. And on the political point of view now, the impact of the Russian Revolution, which precisely the great power were afraid of, uh, was real. The Communist Party uh, was born in 1921 from a regroupment of different socialist and Marxist currents, and it became immediately a member of the, the, the new uh, Third International, the Comintern, and it was one of the most influential communist party of the whole region. He won immediately at the very beginning of the new state significant trade union influence and electoral positions in the main towns of the new kingdom, which is why it was very soon forbidden 
repressed and obliged to clandestine work. I said that the kingdom transformed itself very rapidly into a dictatorship while taking the name of Kingdom of, of Yugoslavia. And this Yugoslavia, as a prison of people, was at the end of his life, that is, uh, at the beginning of the Second World War, dominated by the Serbian dynasty and had been incapable of solving both the national conflicts and industrialization of the country and even so the agriculture issue of uh, land reforms. In 1934, King Alexander I of Yugoslavia was assassinated while on a state visit to France. Perhaps the deepest tragedy always opens with gaiety and festive scenes. This American newsreel described the killing, which was captured live on film. Predominant among all the dignitaries was Foreign Minister Bartu of France, the grand old man of European diplomacy. Hat in hand, he walks beside the king. As their powerful ally in the Balkans, the French overwhelmed King Alexander with splendid honors from the moment of his landing here at the pier in Marseille. The king and the foreign minister enter a car for the official parade. The scene of joy rises to climax with the thundering acclaim of the crowd. Vive le roi! Long live the king! The king who is helping France realize her ambition. But in that triumphal scene is hidden the hand of death. Tragedy approaches swiftly now. In that gala multitude lurks a man with a pistol, bound by a blood oath to kill the king. He was a Croatian terrorist. And he's ready to strike. And he strikes on the running board. He's slashed down by saber strokes. Spraying bullets hit the crowd. Women fall wounded, hit by the random bullets. The police overwhelm him, trample him. Somebody picks up the instrument of death, that devilish automatic pistol. The assassin's straw hat lies on the ground. They had slashed and trampled him to death. He had scarcely time to know whether he had achieved his murderous deed, but he had. Alexander I of Yugoslavia lies dying here, his life cut short by the hail of bullets. And Foreign Minister Bartu of France was killed too, trying to shield the king. And once more the royal car rolls on, freighted and funereal with the calamitous doom. The man who killed Alexander was actually Bulgarian, although he was working with the Croatian ultranationalist group, the Ustache. The Nazis would later put the Ustache in charge of a genocidal puppet regime when they occupied Yugoslavia. So that was the, the situation of that first Yugoslavia at the beginning of the Second World War. How did Tito and the communist-led partisan movement come to be the dominant force in Yugoslav politics over the course of the Second World War? First, let us stress, the Communist Party was very weak at the beginning of the war because precisely of a combined aspect. First, because of the repression, because of clandestinity, but also, I must stress, because of internal conflicts and fractions dividing himself, also linked to its internal way of functioning, the Stalinist impact of its way of functioning within its own ranks. And there was no open criticism of the Soviet Union under the Stalin rule at the beginning of that phase. But in spite of that, 
the leading forces and leaders of uh, the, the new communist party were real internationalist, educated and multinational leadership. It had also a positive experience of clandestinity and of political and social confrontation, organizing cells of political education, of communist political education, learning out of uh, the experience of October Revolution, the Soviets, Lenin's positions, and um, also organizing under different forms uh, trade unions, feminist and youth work in all the regions. The ideological background of that education was very much influenced <laughs> more by Lenin than by Stalin, because precisely what was very important in prison was the the analysis they made of the evolution of Lenin's position on two aspects which were key for the Yugoslav context, that is the national and the peasant question. So Lenin's recognition of the importance precisely what what Putin is criticizing, the importance of recognition of self-determination of different nations in the building of a socialist project. That was very important for the Yugoslav issue. And second, a recognition of the slogan, which was not a, a, a first Bolshevik slogan, which but which was integrated in Lenin's program and the Bolshevik program, that is the land to those who work on it. And that also, because of the socioeconomic dimension of what was the Yugoslav society and the importance of the peasantry, it was very important for the Yugoslav revolution. And also, speaking of ideological background, um, the, the Yugoslav communist, and in particular Tito, was very impressed by April thesis expressed by um, Lenin in the context of the First World War and the, the general interpretation of the fact that uh, there was a world system, a world capitalist crisis within which a process of permanent revolution, of international revolution could occur with national dimension, of course, of popular revolutions in peripheral, semi-peripheral countries like uh, uh, Russia, uh, which would transform the uh, world capitalist crisis into popular revolution. And this, the, the Titoist uh, leadership considered it as very important interpretation for the Second World War. I must add an, another ideological influence which played a very important role and illustrate what was that leadership. That is the context of the, before the war, the Spanish war against fascism with its national questions involved in it and Tito, within the, the Comintern, took the responsibility of organizing international brigades to Spain. And many Yugoslav communists were involved there. So linked to the, the role Tito played um, in organizing the international brigades, I must stress also that uh, uh, Tito decided in 1937 
to come back in in Yugoslavia and organize the Communist Party's clandestine work on the ground with a fi financial independence from the Moscow, <laughs> from Stalin and from Soviet Union. And also, he could see, even if he did not denounce, what occurred to brigadists coming from Spain with the uh, trials occurring in in uh, Soviet Union and killings, and even it seems that uh, Tito's wife was uh, involved in in that repression and and killing, and Tito uh, became aware of the possibility of some threat against himself, in spite of the fact that Tito kept a profile of pro-Stalin activists and uh, intellectually anti-Troskite <laughs> also in its vocabulary and it's the way he organized the internal repression of dissidents in, inside the party too. So the combination of those features. Huh? The important point uh, then was the practical uh, decisions taken by the Communist Party during the Second World War, when Yugoslavia, the first Yugoslavia, was broken uh, and divided because invited by the, the fascist and Nazi troops, uh, Germany, Italy, and so on, who occupied the different parts of the former Yugoslavia. And that was the moment when the Communist Party decided to organize first a kind of guerrilla warfare, and uh, which was transformed very rapidly into what was called the, the partisan movement. The Yugoslav partisans became the most effective resistance movement in occupied Europe. The British government supplied them with weapons from the air, as recounted by this Pathé News report. Supplies for Yugoslavia are skillfully packed. Not an inch of space is wasted. Battle dresses and capes are used as packing in the special containers which are loaded on lorries and rushed to the airfield. Into the waiting Halifaxes go the equipment, which has given such tremendous aid to Marshal Tito and his partisans. Supplies rain down over the dropping area, which is often small and not far from the enemy's lines. Several British officers travelled to Yugoslavia to fight with the partisans. They included the historian Basil Davidson and the conservative politician Fitzroy Maclean. They helped promote the heroic image of Tito's movement that comes across in another Pathé newsreel from the war. At their headquarters in Italy, student nurses of Marshal Tito's Yugoslavian armies parade before wounded partisan soldiers recuperating from injuries sustained in the battle for their homeland. In their struggle against the Germans, these Yugoslav patriots have won some of the most amazing victories of the war. This 13-year-old youngster, wounded in action, carried messages between armies in the front line. Typical of their fighting spirit, these unconquered people board ship to return to the hills of Yugoslavia and carry on where they left off. This group goes to relieve brave Montenegrins, also members of Tito's army, who are being sent to Italy for rest. Their red-starred banner stands for as brave an army of people as you'd find anywhere in this war. The guerrilla at the beginning was transformed into a massive popular army of peasants, the popular army of liberation in all the territory and articulated with the organization 
of what was called the Committee of Liberation in, in the different parts of the former Yugoslavia. But it was organized, and that is the very important point, it was organized as the concretization of an alternative project of a Yugoslav federation. That is, it was organized in order that each different people, nation on that space, on that territory, could organize its own committee of liberation, its own army, its own self-organized administrative, cultural, political, and so on um, resistance through the partisan activity, which combined anti-fascist radical orientation and um, anti-racist also on the base of the concrete criticism of the first Yugoslavia, the the concrete criticism of what was the second kind of uh, so-called anti-fascist resistance uh, organized during the Second World War, which was the what was called the Chetnik, which was the the bourgeois, pro-bourgeois Serbian, pro-bourgeois and pro-Serbian kingdom uh, resistance, when the king was a refugee in London, and uh, this Chetnik, supposed to be anti-fascist resistance, was mainly anti-communist. And, of course, was also nationalist. So both features uh, played a key role to understand the influence of partisan ideology, which was both concretely anti-fascist and organizing um, a fraternity in the struggle and recognition of the different national rights, and which was particularly important for peasants, in the way uh, the Popular Army and the Committee of Liberation were organized. In the late 1960s, the Yugoslav government funded a blockbuster war movie about the partisan struggle called The Battle of Naretva. It concentrated on a crucial episode in the war at the beginning of 1943. The Allied threat to Hitler's domination of Europe is increasing. In Yugoslavia, a savage and unpublicized war rages. For two years, fighting in a terrain ideal for guerrilla warfare, a country half bleak mountain, half green valley, alone and unaided, the partisans, led by Joseph Braz Tito, have prevented the total occupation of the Balkans. In order to slam the door against an allied invasion of southern Europe, Hitler determines to stamp out once and for all the stubborn partisan movement. For this final offensive, the Germans massed 200,000 troops, supported by crack panzer units, by the Italian army, and by pro-Nazi factions in Yugoslavia, the Chetniks and the Eustatians. Against this seemingly invincible war machine, an obscure and poverty-stricken people has nothing but its own courage, its own will to survive. Several international movie stars were cast in the film, including Yul Brynner and Orson Welles. In the following scene, Wells delivers a speech in his role as a Chetnik leader. God is our strength! Brother Chetniks, hear me! Soon we must unsheathe our daggers. Yes, the moment of decision is upon us. When I think of the sacrifices you must make for king and country, the blood you must shed, my soul weeps out. But with the aid of our German allies and the Italians, we will deal the death blow. 
to these jackals, these so-called partisans. Soon Tito's head will roll at our feet. The film ends with the partisans back on the road to victory. The Ivans, the Novaks, the Donitsas, all of the people of this story who fought, bled and died made possible the ultimate defeat of Nazi Germany. Their sacrifices were enormous. Every ninth Yugoslav fell in that struggle. But out of their deaths and the ruins of war, a new nation was born. And a key moment during the war in 1943 was a national conference of the, the, the Committee of Liberation. The Serbo-Croatian or Croatian-Serbian initials was called the Avnoj, A-V-N-O-G, which aimed at resisting the fact that the allies, uh, including Stalin, up to that time only recognized the Chetnik and did not help at all the partisan struggle and uh, wanted the Serbian kingdom to be reestablished after a victory against fascism. So the Avnoj conference in 1943, was a kind of official foundation of a republican project of a new Yugoslav federation. And it was a de facto in conflict with Stalin socialism in one country, with its diplomacy and with Yalta agreements and division of the world into uh, spheres of influence on the back of, uh, of, of the people. So the influence of the partisans and communist leaders was concretely associated to the way they organized the struggles. And I must precise also that uh, in the occupied territory, or I mean occupied by the partisans, uh, that is freed from the domination of fascists and of uh, their allies, there was distribution of lands to the peasants, uh, suppression of debts, uh, administration and cultural organization of uh, the, the, the daily life by the, the new Committee of Liberation, which were very popular and which permitted a combination of political role of the Communist Party and, let us say, uh, from below, a lot of initiatives and involvement of the populations with the hope of national equality and recognition of the possible alternative to the first Yugoslavia. How did the post-war Yugoslav state differ from its interwar predecessor in its approach to the question of the nationalities? The first difference was the proclamation of a republic against the Serbian dynasty, which covered, in fact, the domination of one nation. Having celebrated Tito's movement during the war, Pathé News was much less enthusiastic about the abolition of the monarchy. The tragic dynasty meets a new disaster. King Peter of Yugoslavia, seen here at his wedding in 1944, has been deprived of his throne by a proclamation of Marshal Tito. Last month, the 22-year-old king attended the christening of his heir, Prince Alexander, born to be a king and now one more of Europe's ex-princes. But tragedy has followed the Karageorgovich dynasty since Peter's father was murdered in 1934 at Marseilles. 
Peter, then a boy king of eleven, returned home from his school in England to take a troubled throne. Refusing to surrender his claims, he goes into exile. But besides that, there was an evolutionary combination of two important approaches that distinguish the new system and the concept of the Communist Party, of the new system, from the first Yugoslavia. And there was a particular role of the national issues of one of the leading uh, CP leaders and theoreticians, which is Edouard Kardel, the Slovenian, influenced by Austro-Marxism, which was very interesting and, and, and rich precisely on its reflection about the national questions. There were two combined approaches. So the first approach was linked to the communist project, the socialist project. That is the idea that within the struggle and the building of a new common uh, state, the hope that there will be some kind of uh, common destiny concretized by, in practice, social and property rights given on the whole territory, whatever be the nationality, and of course associated with the notion of citizenship, uh, citizenship of the new Republican uh, uh, Federation, so the same rights for everyone, every individual, but every nation uh, belonging to the common states. But uh, secondly, the recognition of all the nations and people that had been involved concretely in the revolution and organized concretely on national basis as part of the conditions for the victory and freely, freely associated in a new federal project. And as uh, Lenin stressed, so it was for the Yugoslav communists uh, considered a condition for a socialist union. So the recognition of all nations and their right of de self-determination, including the right to leave the union in case of conflicts, uh, was, of course, a, a very important imp uh, distinction. So this dual aspect was reflected in, in dual uh, concepts also and notions which were uh, introduced in the Constitution. So the rights associated to citizenship were stable, universal, and the right associated to belonging to a nation was associated to subjective declaration but it reflected the assumption that there could be the hope that even on the national point, cultural national point of view, that is, a kind of Yugoslav national identity would emerge from the common project and from intermarriage also. Because of the negative experience of the first Yugoslavia, where Yugoslavism was identified with an oppressive unitarist imposition, in the early years of the new regime, any pressure in the direction of introduction, a kind of national Yugoslavity, <laughs> was opposed. It should also be pointed out that uh, there was another national issue. The minorities were not considered as constituent nations on the new state. 
And for instance, uh, Hungarians minorities, Albanians minorities, which had another state of reference outside Yugoslavia. But they were not called national minorities because that uh, formulation was associated with a negative experience to previous experiences of uh, oppression uh, of minorities. So a special term has been invented in the language of the new state, which was the distinction between narod people and narodnost. Narodnost, it's difficult to translate because in French, for instance, it, it can be translated by nationality, but we, you don't. So we can instead, anyway, understand it as meaning a national community which is not a constituent people. And uh, important rights were also recognized for those communities as far as the use of their language in particular. The de facto constituent nations were only Slav, Serbs, Croats, Montenegrin, Macedonian, Bosnians, but Albanians in the course of the evolution of the, the, the second Yugoslavia were increasing uh, asking to have the similar equalitarian status and to be recognized as a nation, a constituent nation, with the right of self-determination and with, for the Kosovo, for instance, which was uh, only a, a province within Serbia, the demand to be a, a republic. And I must say that, for instance, Albanians in Kosovo were more or less two millions, where Montenegrins, who were a nation, were several uh, hundred thousands, so uh, less than Albanians. So uh, th there was a problem of inequalities. And uh, I must stress that at the beginning of the war, the Second World War, a project of Balkan Socialist Federation was raised by uh, the communist leadership with the Bulgarian, uh, Albanians, and Greek communists. And the, the failure of that project of a Balkan Socialist Federation was a big problem to solve in an equalitarian way the issue, for instance, of Albanian uh, a nation within the Yugoslav project. When you speak of Yugoslav, it means Slav, South Slavs. And the name itself <laughs> indicates kind of discrimination in favor of only Slavish uh, nation. And of course, I would say globally that the Balkan Socialist Federation would have been better to solve uh, the, the national issues of that space, and in particular the Albanian ones. So it was a weakness for the new system, and that weakness was due to Stalin intervention, uh, which prohibited the building of an independent Balkan uh, uh, Socialist Federation, and the split with Stalin imposed, in fact, for the Yugoslav communists to break with the Greek, with Albanians, and so on, and for Albanians also to make their own choice, and to build a Yugoslav system. Uh, republics and provinces were political, territorial, uh, administrative bodies, which played uh, more and more a role in the functioning of the Federation. Their borders were established 
on the basis of historical evolution. And those borders did not reflect a pure ethnic or national composition of the different republic, except for Slovenia. So, for instance, in, 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 in Croatia, you had one republic and two nations, Serbs and Croats. In Bosnia and Herzegovina, you had three nations and so on. And in the f- evolution of the second Yugoslavia, the, the issue of what is the right of self-determination became crucial. Does it belong, did it belong to the republics, the political structures of the republics, or did it belong to the nations at the whole level of the whole system? That was an issue with evolution of interpretation and conflict in interpretation. In 1948, there was a bitter public split between Yugoslavia and the Soviet Union. Stalin denounced Tito as a renegade and called for his overthrow. But Tito held on to power and led Yugoslavia out of the Soviet camp. This newsreel from 1949 conveys the US perspective on the split. Six years ago, Tito, then a Moscow-trained guerrilla leader, established his regime. Today, guerrillas no longer. The army he led against Nazi occupation prepares for defense against Soviet occupation. It was Tito's insistence that Yugoslavia be governed not from Moscow, but from his capital on the Danube River, Belgrade, that led to the break with Stalin, bringing vast changes to Yugoslavia. Its great transportation shortage remains, but the Stalin portraits are gone from public buildings. Today, Belgrade residents line up for hours to see American movies where so recently only Soviet propaganda films played. From its embassy in Belgrade, the State Department follows eagerly the progress of Tito's about face toward the West. Married to the daughter of a... What were the main factors behind the split between Tito and Stalin in the late 1940s? And what was distinctive about the Yugoslav model of communism after the split? The breakup in 1948, came uh, uh, as a surprise to everyone. It was not desired by the Titoist leaders, that is, the Yugoslav communist leaders, who were uh, hoping for the Soviet help in launching uh, the planning uh, system aimed at rapid uh, reconstruction and industrialization. And they had never... Uh, publicly criticized Stalin, and they used to repress uh, any criticism of uh, what embodied uh, in their eyes, despite all the problems encountered, the very popular homeland of socialism. But having said that, what was really occurring behind the scene? The main issue was uh, first the transformation of Soviet Union. Stalin wanted to impose a subordination, not only of Yugoslavia, in fact, but all the CPs in general, to the construction of socialism in a single country, uh, that is, Soviet Union. And uh, their subordination to choices dictated by the USSR. Therefore, the rupture has its, its deep roots in the major conflict of disobedience expressed by the autonomous force 
of the Yugoslav revolution led by the Yugoslav CP within uh, the the partisan uh, resistance. Avnoi, this conference of committees of liberation of the whole Yugoslavia in 1943. That very same year, I must stress, Stalin dissolved the Comintern to combat the defiance of his allies against uh, what they considered the communist danger. So the victory of the partisans and uh, of uh, the People's Army against fascism did not respect the Yalta agreements between Stalin and its allies about uh, spheres of influence. Uh, And it did not respect the climate of pacific coexistence uh, behind all that. The Yugoslav uh, system, the Yugoslav society, after uh, a victory, was supposed to belong to Western sphere of influence with the return of the king to Yugoslavia. So it was supposed to be a capitalist system. Winston Churchill expressed public outrage about the communist takeover in Yugoslavia. According to Fitzroy Maclean, he had warned Churchill privately during the war that a communist victory was the most likely outcome. I said that I had no doubt that the partisans would take power once the war was over uh, and would set up a communist regime. At that point, Winston interrupted me and said, do you intend to make Yugoslavia your home after the war? Do you intend to live there? And I said, no. And he said, well, neither do I. And therefore, had we not better leave it to the Yugoslavs to work out what kind of regime they want? So the Yugoslav communists pushed, in fact, radicalized, in fact, the conflicts when the United States launched the Marshall Plan to try to consolidate a capitalist Europe and to corrupt or undermine the the hold of the CPs in Eastern Europe. And the Yugoslav communists uh, denounced that Marshall Plan and uh, the, the, the situation was changing quite soon to move towards the on one hand, the bureaucratic consolidation of the so-called popular democracies and globally toward Cold War. But uh, even in that new context, what was Stalin's concept of his uh, own sphere of influence of those so-called popular democracies? He replaced uh, the Comintern, I said it has been dissolved, but he replaced it with what was called the Cominform, supposedly an information bureau uh, between uh, the main CPs. But Stalin established uh, the headquarters of the Cominform in Belgrade. And that decision was perceived by the Yugoslav communists for what it was. That is an act of hostile espionage. And the main issue expressing for Stalin the dangerous autonomy and even more influence of the Yugoslav communists among the different CPs of the region and beyond was the concrete discussions which uh, occurred among them behind Stalin's back about the Balkan Confederation project. This is undoubtedly both the expression of autonomous line and the concrete dynamics 
that decided Stalin to excommunicate, uh, between quotes, the Yugoslav uh, communists and Titoism being de denounced at the time in, in 1948 as capitalist espions uh, like uh, Trotskyites, uh, which were supposed to be... Um, uh, to be infiltrated within the communist movement. So uh, different purges occurred at that time in all, all the CPs of the regions and beyond, including in the French CP and so on, against all those who have been surprised about that excommunication of the communist Yugoslav and which uh, would express solidarity with the, the, the Titoist uh, leaders. And this meant the end of the Balkan project and Yugoslav, Yugoslavia was isolated from all other CPs by this act uh, of split of 1948. So that leads to the second part of your question. So the, the Yugoslav communists claimed to be uh, against Stalin, claimed to be inspired by Marx uh, supporting the Paris Commune against Stalin, and uh, in the first uh, the first year of uh, after the split, they repressed the what were called the Comintarnists, that is the, the the part of their members uh, currents who were pro uh, Stalin, and they sent it to uh, the Yugoslav Gulag, which was uh, Goli Otok, uh, a specific island. Pathé News took a sceptical view of the elections held in 1950. From Marshal Tito's Yugoslavia come first pictures of an election campaign staged for the benefit of foreign eyes. 80,000 slabs turn out in the Dalmatian city of Split to hear their leader campaign for his own particular brand of communist dictatorship, knowing full well that the result is already decided. A victory dance precedes the voting, for with only one set of candidates listed, the communist-led People's Front must, of course, win. To nobody's surprise, Tito's party piles up a 95% vote. No victory for democracy, it aids the West nonetheless, for it's a victory over Soviet-style communism. Very rapidly, th that repressive uh, dimension of their reaction was reemplaced by um, the attempt to consolidate their uh, legitimacy and their choices on communist basis linked to the uh, legitimacy of the revolution. And uh, they had to explain the, the behavior of uh, this USSR, which had not been criticized before, and uh, its uh, a behavior of a new great dominating power. Milovan Gilas, one of them, the leading figure of the Communist Party at that time, put emphasis on the a bureaucratization of the USSR uh, based on uh, the, the concept of the domination of the planning system and of the whole system by the state. And therefore, they had to invent <laughs> a consistent Yugoslav path, alternative Yugoslav path to communism, which was globally marked by the rejection of state centralism which was also practically inspired by the strength, legitimacy of the partisan struggle and uh, the revolutionary promises for social and national emancipation. First, there was no questioning of the 
political need and a political monopoly of the Communist Party in its role conceived as a vanguard, revolutionary vanguard party. But the CP, uh, which, uh, by the way, has gained hundreds of thousands of members at that time and a very high legitimacy, uh, the CP was renamed uh, League of Communists and the, the concept on the line to be implemented was to convince uh, uh, of in a more flexible system rather than to command in a vertical way. So different aspects added to the popularity and legitimacy even of a single party. That is, first increasing new social and national rights, expressing a Yugoslav path to socialism, not submitting, second aspect, not submitting to Stalin's diktat. Even after Stalin's death, because of uh, concrete lessons driven from 1956 under Khrushchev rule, uh, that is, workers' councils in um, Hungary and Poland, uh, which were to be repressed, even by Khrushchev itself and, and, and Soviet intervention in, in Hungary, there was a decisive turn uh, in international relationship towards the specific um, involvement of the Yugoslav communists in the building of the non-aligned movement, which first uh, conference was held in uh, 1961 in, uh, in Belgrade, uh, on the base of uh, Bandung emergence of uh, a third world and anti-colonial uh, movement uh, in the world. And then after the first uh, repressive years, uh, much more alive, I would say, and attractive Yugoslav Marxism in and out of the leading party was contrasting with the state ideology of the official Marxism in the USSR. It is necessary there to underline in particular the exceptional character of the legal existence of the review called Praxis uh, from uh, 1964 animated by anti-Stalinist Marxist philosophers, especially in Croatia and Serbia, and who published in Serbo-Croat or Croato-Serbian language and in foreign languages also, texts of international heterodox Marxists from Lukács to Korsh, including Ernest Mandel and Trotskyist leaders. Uh, they also organized every summer uh, international meetings, which were uh, unbelievable in, in, in any other uh, uh, so-called communist countries. They were organized on the alignment of Korčula in Croatia, with a very large audience of young Yugoslavs. And that played a key role in their politicization on Marxist basis, socialist basis, and in their actions in 1968. So concretely, as far as the economy is concerned, it was marked at the beginning by nationalization and centralization after the victory, but was de-statized after 1948 in different ways. First, uh, there was, I, I don't develop, but the agrarian, agrarian reform um, favored the distribution of small private lands to the peasants by abolishing forced collectivization, 
and a stimulant towards uh, socialization. But um, the main feature, of course, of the new system was from 1950 onwards, the fact that all state-owned enterprises had officially um, the, the, the right and, and duty to introduce their own workers' councils, to manage them. And in the Yugoslav constitution, so that was called self-managing workers, who were dis, uh, de designated as uh, responsible before the workers' assemblies for the uh, management of the enterprises. So in the 50s, a new form of planning was introduced to permit the combination of planning and self-management of the uh, enterprise at the local level. How? Uh, social investment funds were introduced uh, whose management had to obey major strategic uh, planning objectives uh, which replaced the detailed and in-kind state planning of the Soviet type. So self-management was concerned with the day-to-day -day management of the part of the resources that remained at the level of the enterprises and municipalities. But how to combine uh, Marxist emphasis, which was still uh, put forward on planning, therefore redistribution of resources from the richest regions and republics to the less developed one, how to combine this emphasis with national rights and how to combine central forms of investment with their strategic goals with workers' rights and workers' council. And I must say that there was no, not a single model to answer those questions. Over three decades, there were radical reforms characterizing, sorry, three different systems of rights and concept of social ownership. But each time, and that was the very limitation of the whole system, those who decided the reforms, who decided the introduction of the new rights, and who changes them, were only the leading figures of the sing single party system still existed. So that was the limitation, but they reacted to real tensions linked to the revolutionary promises on the social and national main issues and rights. So that's yeah. the, the point on which we, we have to go further in the next uh, discussion. Many thanks to Catherine Samary for that introduction to Yugoslav history. This was the first part of a two-part interview. You can hear the second part in our next episode.